podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and this week, we've got another awesome guest with us, Kareem Mayan. Welcome to the show, Kareem. Thanks, Kyle. Great to be here. All right. Well, Kareem, super excited to have you and super excited to talk about a number of uh, product topics. Uh, But let me, before we dive into that, let me give a brief introduction for you and then have you tell us a little bit more about yourself. But uh, Kareem, since 2001, uh, Kareem has founded and run product teams at four software companies with three exits and PM'd at companies like ESPM.com and MySpace and is currently the co-founder of Savio, a tiny seed-backed product management platform for B2B SaaS companies, where he's talked with hundreds of PMs about their process. And we're going to talk more about that today, which I am very, very excited about. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Um, honestly, pretty uh, you, you nailed it. That's sort of the high-level um, technical background. Care a lot about UX. Care a lot about uh, customers. I'd say we're, we're sort of customer-obsessed over here. Um, and have you know done the PM job? Moved over from Dev way back in the day, probably twenty years ago. Still write code though, but professionally, it's, it's mostly been on the product side. You know, line PM all the way up to product exec. Um, and yeah, today I talk to PMs on the regular, uh, helping them gather up and use product feedback to build the evidence-based roadmap. Um, so excited to share what I've learned from talking to hundreds of PMs um, and learn some some stuff from you as well. Awesome. Well, I am so excited about this because this is obviously it's one of my favorite topics. It's something that we love to talk about here and something that I love to talk about in general, um, customer feedback, uh, roadmaps and all of those things. But before we dive into it, you know, tell us, you know, maybe some of the things that you like to do outside of the office and outside of product management. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm married with two kids under 10. Uh, so they keep me pretty busy pretty busy trying to expose them to lots of different things, take them to activities, do things with them, take it up tennis a few years ago, still do some weightlifting as well. Uh, but tennis is sort of the primary exercise outlet that I've got. Uh, read a lot, like to travel now that COVID is sort of slowed down as well. Um, so yeah, just like to get out there, learn, see what the world has to, has to offer and, and, uh, stay active. Very nice. Okay. Have you been to any cool places recently or do you have any cool travel plans coming up that are on the horizon? Yeah, great question, man. So um, probably about 15 years ago, I was um, a digital nomad and actually owned the domain for a little while and was on all seven continents in about uh, it was under a year, actually. Um, so since I had kids, you know, things have slowed down drastically. I actually just got back from Mexico where uh, Rafa Nadal has a, um, a tennis academy down there. And so I combined like chilling on the beach and reading with, you know, playing some tennis, doing some surfing. Um, so got back six days ago. So still very much enjoying the, the relaxation state from that. Um, going to Toronto tomorrow. Uh, but after that, nothing, nothing really on the horizon yet. Very nice. Very, very nice. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. All right. Well, um, I have a lot of questions and a lot of really, I think, great things to talk about. Um, product management wise. So why don't you expand a little bit for us 
on your journey and kind of how you came into your current role. You, you mentioned uh, briefly that you know, you've been on the dev side and, and moved into product management and then you know, now as a co-founder. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about you know, what, what has that been like, the, the journey to get from you know, the early days and, and all of that to, to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. So I, I said there's sort of three major inflection points. So one was um, realizing that there was a job called a product product manager, um, and then actually starting to do it. So the the first was in I was probably in the late '90s. I had an internship at a software company in Toronto, and I was in the product management group. And they actually, ironically, maybe it's not irony, but um, funnily enough, they had me build my my summer project was to build a feature request tracking system um, in Visual Basic. Because uh, they knew that I was technical, so that was sort of like, oh, that's neat. That's not, you know, there are people who sort of help understand, help the devs understand what customers need. Fast forward a few years at ESPN, I started the job I had was um, called a technical producer, and you were basically a dev plus PM in in one role, sort of wearing one hat. Um, so that was that was sort of a major inflection point over the you know over the course of a few years. It was like, oh, this is a thing that exists, and then actually doing the job. Um, the second was. Um, I, at ESPN, I hired a company called Creative Good, and they did usability testing. Um, I was working on a fantasy football software product. And when we did a bunch of usability tests on that with Creative Good, you know, I, I learned how crappy our interface was, how poor we messaged, what the benefits of upgrading were. You know, People would upgrade, but they weren't really sure what they were getting until they clicked a button and paid 100 bucks for their league. Uh, and so it really helped instill in me that you know customers can help you solve can help us can help me solve my problems if i pay attention to what they're doing what they say what sort of you know reading the tea leaves what they're not saying but really want to say or are thinking um how they're behaving so that was the second inflection point and then the third inflection point was leaving i left um my space to start uh my first company in 2007 it's called edufire it's an education marketplace um, and since then, I've started and sold two other companies as well. That was sort of like the the founder journey. Uh, and then with respect to Savio, um, after my business partner and I sold our last company, um, we sort of sat down and said, what problem do we have that hasn't been solved effectively yet? And so looking back, he's also a dev turned PM. He worked at Microsoft uh, for a bunch of years and has started a couple of other companies. And before we started working together. And we always had this issue where we get all the product feedback from customers. It always felt like it was locked up in, in siloed tools or in the heads of our customer-facing colleagues, or we had it in our own heads, you know, or Google Docs or um, you know, notes applications. And there was no way to centralize and use it uh, to, to prioritize, like just make sense of the, the very basics. How many people are asking for this feature? That's sort of the, the key question that we wanted to understand. You know, that was sort of our V1. And so we looked around the market and couldn't find anything that was really suitable where you'd build, there are lots of tools where you can build roadmaps, but there's nothing where you could actually tie it directly to customer evidence. Um, and so that was what we set up to solve in 2018. Um, and so that was the, that was the genesis of, of Savio. Which is it's such a really, really great problem um, and, and a fascinating one because even now I, I feel like this is just over the the last few recent product roles that I've had, we've continually come back to this exact same problem like over and over in a variety of different ways where it's like, um, you know, we have all of this feedback, we have, you know, the different ways that we're doing roadmaps, but how do we tie all of this together uh, in like a cohesive way. And I feel like it's kind of this perpetual problem that is 
uh, is a really difficult one. So I, I do want to kind of uh, get into that a little bit more, but you know, kind of going into uh, some of some of your your previous experience before we dive into that, I think a lot of us have come into a lot of us in product management have come into it in a variety of different ways, like that, where you know what is product management and, and kind of uh, not really understanding it or, or kind of falling backwards into it. I know that was definitely my experience. You know, as you were very, very early in the industry and, uh, you know, before I think really formal definitions of product management were there, what was, you know, what was that experience like? And, you know, how have you seen kind of the formalization of product over the years as, you know, we've obviously shaped a lot more around you know, what product management is and, and a lot of the work that we're doing. But you know, going back a little bit before a lot of that even existed, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the experience and then some of the shaping that you've seen happen. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, way back in the late 90s, when I had that first internship, um, I was working with two ex-MBA or like guys who graduated, uh, one from, I want to say, Columbia and the other from Harvard. Um, you know, one was the VP of product, one was the director. And the software world was very different then. It was people who were, you know, nerds or who had some leanings towards technology, right? The internet in the late 90s, this is probably 98 or 99 when I had that gig, um, was still pretty nascent. You know, very few people had it at home. I went to call my first year in college was in 95, and that was the first year the dorms were wired for for high speed for Ethernet. So I, you know, after having dial up at home in the early 90s, I think 93, 94, I had dial up got broadband and never looked back, but most people were not like that. And so it was a, it was a domain really for like people who cared a lot about technology, thought it was interesting. And, you know, that's changed in, in that tech is like a big industry now, right? You've got your bank companies. And back in the day when I was in tech, Wall Street was the place to go make money. Um, it's still probably true um, or, or finance more broadly. Um but tech is now also a pretty viable destination for young kids who, you know, who want to make money. And so it's not that it's bad, but it's attracted a different kind of person and, you know, people who want to make a lot of money. Um, and, uh, the sort of focus on building interesting things is maybe less, less there or a sort of a, uh, secondary goal or, or one in one A, if you will. In terms of like how the role has changed, I mean, I, I want to say I got really lucky. I found um, so Joel Spolsky, who's the founder of Trello and Stack Overflow. He had a blog, I think, it's still out there called JoelOnSoftware.com, and I found it in 2001. And he talked a lot about um, what he did at Microsoft, which is called program management, which was a combination of project and product management. And um, I mean, his essays are still on point. Uh, and so I devoured that. And that was really my Bible for a very long time was for the Microsoft way. Um, you know, today I think the job has gotten more specialized. So like, you know, in, in the Joel world or the program management world, you'd still product managers would still wireframe. They still very often do project management. They might do some engineering management if, you know, with, if there wasn't a, a dedicated engineering manager on the dev side. Um, you know, those functions have sort of split out into like, you know, you might have a product designer who does the wireframing and, you know, product, you collaborate with them. You might have um, like a product owner who does project management. Uh, you might have an engineering manager. And so like, it's actually gotten better, I think, in a lot of respects, because as a product manager, your responsibilities have been slimmed down to focus on, you know, understanding what the customer needs are, figuring out high level solutions. And you've got help to define and shepherd those things through to, through to delivery. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, the role is still still evolving, uh, and I think as you know, as things like, I mean, honestly, even customer success is a role that like pro 
in my world, product used to do a little bit of, mostly in service of helping customers be successful, but then also taking those learnings and feeding them back into the product. Product marketing would still be some things that that product managers might do back in the day, but that's obviously a very important and full fledged role as well, specialization in, in SaaS. So yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's changed a lot over the last over the last twenty years. Yeah, no, that's it. Definitely has, and uh, especially as a lot of those aspects of it have become a lot more formalized. And as, as we've probably realized that, you know, one person or one role is it's too much for like any one specific role to own all of these different types types of things. Kind of like you were mentioning, um, like the project management and the customer success and the actual product management and the product marketing. Like those are a lot of things that especially as as a product grows and a company grows, like it just becomes like a lot to to handle, and so kind of expanding out on on a lot of those things. I'm interested too because you mentioned a few of the places that that you've worked over the years. How was you know some of the experiences uh, different at places like ESPN and and MySpace and some of the different roles that you've taken, both from a product perspective and the technology? Um, you know, as you were building and creating those things, you know, what were some of the things that that you saw early on that you know were were working? And and you mentioned you know some of the things that uh, you learned that just weren't working well. And as you were doing some of the user research at, at ESPN, like, I guess, what were some of the things, you know, coming up through a lot of these different technologies and, and companies that you saw that, uh, you know, were, were great or, or maybe were so great? Yeah, it's a great question. So like, um, I, in, I want to say it's 2003, 2004, I took, I went to a workshop called the uh, redesigning blogger. Uh, and it was, um, held by the agency who redesigned Blogger back then called Adaptive Path. And we, ESPN participated in a study, basically a white paper that Adaptive Path was doing, where they evaluated different organizations along the capability maturity model for, I want to say it was design. Uh, and ESPN was basically a zero. Uh, and it was, I think, a reflection of ESPN starting as a startup called Star, Star Wave in 94, 95. They were an agency that then got bought by. They were an agency that made ESPN's website, got bought by ESPN, became, um, you know, the the ESPN product team, basically product and dev team, uh, and still was very much like run as a startup, run as a uh, early or mid '90s startup, which is to say, like not a lot of process, you know, um, successful through acts of heroism rather than through like precise planning and resource allocation, you know, and that was, that was challenging, but it also showed me like I was, I, I installed an issue tracker there. I was like, guys, this is ridiculous that we, we have a team of eight or 10, whatever it was building fantasy football. And like, nobody knows what anybody's working on. Um, so I, I bought fog bugs, which was uh, Bolsky's issue tracker and installed it on prem. Cause that was the only way we could get it. There was no cloud really then. Uh, and all of a sudden, like we could see, hey, you know, Jason's working on these three and John's working on those four and Kareem's working on these three. So that was, you know, that was super helpful in, in understanding that process, no process can kill you and some lightweight process can be, you know, can be super helpful. MySpace, one of the, uh, MySpace was very, how do I say, like ESPN had a loyal fan base. The first thing they asked you when you interviewed was like, tell me about what teams you're, uh, you're fans of and why. And tell me about your favorite sports stories over the last five years. You know, name the commissioners of all the leagues, those kinds of things. And then it was like, okay, so you know JavaScript, so tell me about that. Whereas MySpace, it was sort of the opposite, where you'd you'd if you could have the technical chops, it was great, and the sports knowledge was was secondary or was a bonus. Uh, but I, I will say that like 
so uh, we'll say when I w- went to work for MySpace, it was first Fox Sports. Fox Sports was the group that then bought MySpace and sort of ran MySpace. And so I moved into MySpace shortly after the acquisition. One of the, at MySpace, I was director of product in their R&D group. And one helpful thing uh, for me was that um, when... So our job was to basically figure out how to make MySpace more money. Um, and one of the you know, beneficial things for me was instead of cool products, every sort of prototype or a set of wireframes had to be accompanied by a, a business case and a back of just a back of the envelope. Like here's the math on why I think this is going to make sense. And so, you know, while on one hand you had people who were perhaps more interested in the technology or the paycheck than they were in the domain, you also had, you know, a, a more of a focus on that, on, on how we're going to actually make money here. Um, so you know, those are some interesting experiences uh, at, at both those places. I mean, it's it's interesting too because B two C is very different from B two B, right? Like in B two B, each account tends to matter more because their share of revenue is greater, um, and the expansion potential is there. Whereas you know, MySpace and ESPN were essentially ad driven businesses, and you know, it was all about getting eyeballs on um, you know, on the site. ESPN, I, I had I worked on a couple of subscription products, so that was. It was important that the product was good, um, but you know, at its core, the majority of its revenue was was ad driven. So that was sort of the the pervading mentality there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, you you mentioned uh, you know some of the the companies that uh, you started and then you know had exits uh, in. You know, I guess tell us a little, and and then obviously you know you are are currently the co founder of Savio. You know, tell us a little bit about you know leading up to the the current uh company that you've you've co-founded you know what have been i guess some of the experiences in uh you know going through early stage companies and and you know starting and building and then exiting that you know have been either the things that you didn't know beforehand or or some of like the biggest things that you've learned as you've gone through like multiple iterations of those yeah, great question. I mean, I'm still learning a ton. Um, this is the, the fourth one. I mean, key key lessons like so. Savvy is an interesting one because in 2015 um, we looked at this space and we talked to I don't know 40 PMs and they were all like, eh, "I got it. It's not really a big problem for me." Uh, and so we we didn't start it. Uh, we we bought another company. We grew it. We sold it. And then in 2018 we looked at the space again. And it was like a 180. Something had happened in those three years where um, the majority of people we talked to were like, "Oh, this is a real problem." And you know, we have some sort of hypotheses as to why. But the sort of zooming out, I think the the interesting lesson there was like, that if we started in 2015, it's not clear whether we would have been more or less successful. Maybe it would have been three years in the wilderness, you know, or maybe it would have been three years where you're early to the market and you just tapped in late need and we talked to the wrong, we validated with the wrong 40 PMs, you know, it's, it's not clear, but you know, the, the, the scratch your itch kind of um, notion, you know, stayed with us. Like in 2018, we sold the, sold the last business. We we're like, we still have this problem. You know, we, we were aware of this problem three years ago. We tried to sort of best practice implement it in the company that we bought and sold and it didn't work well. And so, you know, let's go back to the, to the, to the well and see if, you know, if things have changed and the world had changed. So that was, you know, that was a core lesson, which is like validate and then, and scratch your, scratch your own itch. Gosh, other lessons. I mean, one lesson I'm, I'm learning today and constantly relearning is, is delegate more as a founder. Like, you know, I, I was an individual contributor and then a manager uh, and then exec and like, 
as an exec, you have to delegate, but in the early stages of a startup, you're often an IC again. And so, you know, finding either people who can come on full time, if you're capitalized well, or even just part-time consultants who eat what they kill and have to be good. Otherwise they won't have businesses for long. I find that to be, um, constantly relearning that lesson. Uh, and it's, it's great because when you can find people who are, um, you know, 80% to 150% as good as you are at a task, it's worth it in, in, I, you know, in any, anywhere on that range is worth it to not, to not do it just so it's out of your headspace and you have time to focus on, on other things, other higher leverage things. So I said, those are probably a handful of, of lessons I've learned in the, uh, in the startup game. Yeah, that's such a, that's such good advice. Um, really for, for anyone, but especially like as you move up, not just as a founder, but anywhere within a product role or within any role really is like, you have to be able to move things off your plate progressively because you can't keep doing the same amount that you're doing while taking on more and more, which I think is a difficult thing, especially as I, I know I found that moving as, from an individual contributor into more and more leadership positions is that you, you want to continue to do a lot of the things that you've been very good at for a long time, but you just simply cannot do that and continue to do all of the other things that you need to do in order to be successful. So I think that's, that's really great advice. So I'm, I, I really want to dive into, to Savio. Cause I think that this is, like I said, it's, it's a, I think a fascinating problem. And I, I think I love talking about product tools as well, because it is obviously something that that I'm familiar with. And I think a lot of, of those listening are as well. Um, you know, some of the things that, that a lot of us use frequently or are looking to use. So I, I guess tell us a little bit more about some of the the initial validation that you did, because I'm interested in that, you know, where you know you obviously saw a problem early on. And, you know, maybe it was there and then you started to both validate it and then needed to kind of scratch your own itch with, with some of the things that around getting feedback and being able to put all of this together and create, uh, you know, roadmaps that were validated by the, the data and feedback you were getting. But tell us more about that, about, you know, kind of that journey, um, some of the validation and, and, you know, market research and, and I guess finding that product market fit as you as you started to develop in this space yeah for sure so the i mean the genesis of our own solution pre-savio at the company we sold called it was called code tree we were, we were using intercom we get feature requests from customers on intercom uh, and intercom had a well, plugin i guess an integration with github um, and so the way it worked was you would paste the intercom link into a github ticket um, and when the GitHub ticket was closed, it would reopen all of the intercom conversation links inside the ticket. And so that was sort of like a way for us to close the loop. But it was, a, and we we're like, oh, that's really useful. But it's a really poor way for us to figure out like how many intercom conversations have been pasted in this ticket versus that ticket. Right. So when we sold the company, we we're like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out how, you know, who else, how are other people doing this? If, if at all. Um, and so, you know, we beat the bushes. We did some, we probably did some cold outreach. You know, we, 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 both my business partner and I have been in tech for a while. So we had, you know, a, a decent network um, and got into conversations, just, you know, 15, 30 minute conversations with PMs, uh, figure out, figured out, you know, were they doing this today? Did they see this as a problem? Um, did they have a solution they were happy with? If they uh, didn't have a solution that they were happy with, what were the challenges? Were they paying for their solution? Had they cobbled something together? And so like for us, the, the valid, the, the, um, the most valid, 
the biggest indicator that there was a, a there there was people who were, you know, problem aware, solution aware, and had devoted some resources to um, to solving it on their own. Um, but we're doing kind of a crappy job because, you know, they're using a spreadsheet or Airtable or Zapier um, and they weren't using a, a purpose-built tool. So, um, you know, the, that's sort of the best indicator that it's a real problem is that they've spent some time and or money to to make the pain go away. We also looked around and said, like, just like at sniff tests, right? Like in 20 years, will people be using spreadsheets for this? Well, you know, SaaS is... Tech is essentially a commodity right now. What matters is in B2B, you know, does this problem solve my need effectively? And so in order to build a good SaaS product, you need to understand what the customer problems are. In order to do that, you need to collect up all the feedback that your sales success and support teams and you as a PM are getting and, and make sense of it. So like, you know, it's going to become more important than just using a spreadsheet. There's workflows, there's integrations, there's data that you're going to want to enrich. Um, your customer feedback with. And so spreadsheets won't be the right tool. It's probably not the right tool for today, but in 20 years, 15 years, five years, it definitely won't be the right tool. Like sophisticated teams and even, you know, sort of beginning teams will be using a tool to do this because it's your, when you think about what product does, like they control the R&D spend to a certain extent, right? They say dev team, you know, 50% of your budget is going to be spent on new features. You know, the other 50% is going to be spent on strategic and tech debt. And so of the 50% on new features, like it's going to be these features. Well, if you have like a 20 person dev team, you know, it's probably $3 million a year team fully loaded if you're not Fang. And that's a million and a half dollars. And so product is going to want to make ha- like in the past, product was making decisions like this. You know, like what do I think makes sense rather than, you know, here's a set of hard data that we're using. And we've you know drilled drilled through, added our intuition, uh, you know, aligned the the company goals with what um, what our customers are asking for, and, and we're going to we're going to use that information for that dev spend, right? So it, it just made a lot of sense. Like passed our sniff test, we had felt the problem, and then when we went out and looked at Big Bad World, you know, people were like, "Yeah, I have this problem, and I've tried to fix it." Um, you know, with a cobbled together, you know, duct tape and chewing gum kind of kind of solution. So that was that was good validation for us that we were we were on the on the right track there. I can definitely attest to cobbling together some of those solutions, like being in in the spreadsheets and and all of the different. Um, I, I know in previous uh, companies, you know, we we've had like Salesforce and like Salesforce integrations, and you have all of these like different flows coming through, and you're like, you know, this isn't working. But it's like, this is what we've got right now to like bring all of this feedback together. And then kind of like you said, finger, finger in the wind to, to say like, okay, I think this is like what we should be doing or directionally. I'm interested as you've, as you've worked with teams, as you've talked with teams, um, you know, cause obviously there is a variety of, of different ways to solve uh, this problem of, and, and essentially the problem of, from a product manager's uh, point of view of gathering feedback and deciding what to prioritize and then creating the the roadmap or you know what what we're going to be working on as a product team or as an organization for um you know kind of like you said the the spend of you know what is our new features and what's our direction what have you seen have been you know either some of the the most common ways that people are doing it or or maybe even some of the the most surprising ways that teams are currently doing some of these things uh, even today. Yeah, the 
So the, the most common way is it's still not using like a purpose-built tool. It's very often using a spreadsheet or Airtable or similar. And so, you know, the the sort of core challenges that people run into are you know, they're getting a stream of anecdotes, the product is getting a stream of anecdotes from CS or support or sales. You know, I just got off the phone with Acme Corp and they really need this, you know, XYZ feature and I'll close the deal if we get it. Like I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that. I'm sure it's a common refrain for, for many product managers. Um, but you know, it's so the sort of main issues is not organized or stored in sort of one place. And so, okay, well, let's, you know, add a process for sales support success to put it into a spreadsheet. And so the, you know, the challenge there is like there, it's a highly manual process. You've got to copy and paste. You've got to, you know, you've got to switch tools. Um, and those teams aren't really incentivized very often to do stuff like to, to do that. Their job is to, you know, retain customers, expand accounts, help, help customers close deals. And so it's highly manual process. Things tend to fall, you know, fall through the cracks. If you can manage to get, you know, your, your teams on side, your customer facing teams on side, you know, there's a couple of other issues. You know, one is you don't, you've got a bunch of data, but it's very coarse. So like you can, if your spreadsheet is structured well, you can get a sense of how many people have asked for this feature versus that feature. And that's, I think that's very, that's fine. If you're very early, they can make a lot of sense. I and mean, that's certainly where we started with Savio before, you know, we, we really got to a happy place and could dog food it. Um, but, you know, you want to be able to add things like revenue or opportunity revenue or plan or region or other sort of factors that help you slice and dice. I know that um, for for me, uh, as you were as you were saying, um, we have definitely been in a very, very similar situation where we have multiple um, either spreadsheets and documents. And this was even just at, at a recent role as well, uh, that the sales team was updating, the customer support team was updating a different one. And... Uh, the, you know, the product team was maintaining a separate spreadsheet for like trying to put all of this together. So like the, I feel like the challenge is incredibly real for trying to pull all of this information together. Um, and, and I know that this has been probably one of the things that I've been focused on over even the past few years in several different companies and several different roles of how do we really bring all of this uh, together in a more meaningful way, because uh, kind of like you've said, it, it's something that I feel like everybody struggles with in maybe not the same way, in in a variety of different ways. And the some of the solutions to it just for whatever reason are lacking in in different aspects in for, for each kind of company or group. And that kind of continually leads to this problem of not having all of the information consolidated, not being able to kind of validate the, uh, you know, the, the roadmap or the prioritization that, that you're looking for. And then not knowing for certain whether you're, uh, you're working on some of the highest priority and being kind of uh, at the whim of either, you know, recency bias or, or some of these other uh, things that continually come up. And, you brought to mind one thing as well. Like I recently, uh, at, as of the time of this recording, was working on a roadmap uh, for uh, for a new product that that we're working on, and it was completely upended by a number of ex- executives who you know came in and had you know wanted their say and and put all of that in. So 
that's not to say that that's necessarily wrong, but you know, we're kind of continually at you know facing these types of challenges where there's tons of different feedback coming in from tons of different places that without the right support and data and, and feedback from all of these different places consolidated and put in, it, it's difficult as a product manager, as a product team to be able to, to say, you know, this is what it is and this is why. I, I guess with that, you know, how, how do we solve some of those problems uh, in, I guess, one, bringing it all together and two, creating a, a roadmap that is less, a roadmap and a prioritization that's less prone to the whims of a lot of these, whether it's sales team or executives or things like that. Yeah. So maybe I'll answer the the first question, which was, um, how do you, you know, sort of, how do you bring it all together? And then we can talk about what I call executive yeah. proofing your, your roadmap. Um, so, so the first one, how do you, how do you sort of create a, a system that's going to let you build, use evidence to build, uh, to build your roadmap. So like the first step is to get buy-in from your customer facing teams because, you know, they're, the, they're your proxies. Uh, for talking to customers. So um, the most, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, having them track is not part of their job description and is extra work. So, you know, giving them an incentive, showing them that it's useful um, is really the the key step to getting buy-in in my experience. And, and what that means is tracking some feedback, even just before you track, asking them what they've been hearing, um, do some tea leaf reading on your own, and then building some of, building some of those features uh, so that they understand, oh, if I talk to Kyle and give him feedback, he's actually going to help me close more deals, retain and expand more accounts, you know, close more tickets, you know, with a with a positive CSAT. That's step one um, is getting buy in. Step two is is figuring out where you're going to put it. So I recommend one place, and it's the same place across all your teams. Um, three is having a lightweight process for your teams to actually put it in that place. The main thing is making sure that it's not disruptive to their workflow. Um, you know, switching tools, um, copy pasting, all this kind of stuff is just friction and friction means that stuff means people won't do it, which means stuff falls through the cracks. At that point, you're, you're pretty good. I mean, there's a couple of things, you know, that are sort of the plus plus version. So one is making sure you know, which customer asked for which feature. So it's helpful, you know, when I get some feedback that I know Kyle at gmail.com or, you know, Kyle at acmecorp.com asked for this, for this feedback. It's ideal if I know that Acme Corp is worth X dollars and there's a couple of open deals and those deals are worth Y dollars and I can use that. So I can say like, show me all of my feature quests sorted by total MRR or total opportunity revenue um, or show me only feature quests from customers on our enterprise plan. Um, so basically using customer data to enrich. Um, and then like down the road, you know, when you're using that, you want to, this is sort of squishy and we can talk more about it if you want, but like, you know, when you're building roadmaps, make sure they're aligned with company goals, making sure that you're sharing feedback with stakeholders so they understand that you've got the backup. It's not just, you know, what Kyle dreamed up in a conference room, but it's like Kyle's done the hard yards to put together, to gather up all this, all this evidence um, and slice and dice it and go through and analyze it, dissect it, and then um, built a very sensible roadmap that's backed based on evidence. And then ultimately when you, these are my favorite, is one of my favorite things to do. It's really at the end of the process. Most people don't, can't start here, but it's close the loop with customers, whether it's you or CS or, or sales, whomever, but you know, you can say, Hey, like you get credit for listening, writing it down, building it, and then ultimately, you know, shipping it and, and letting them know. And, and, you know, the responses to those emails, like the very first time that happened to me as a customers with Slack, I sent them a bug report and they, 
I go, yeah, thanks. And I was like, it's kind of a black hole. And then, you know, three, two, three months later, they responded and I was like, head exploded. You know, they, they fixed it and they let me know, like, that's amazing. Um, and, you know, that was, I don't know, 2016, 2017. So, um, you know, the world has changed where more companies are care about doing that and are able to do that with tools like Savio. But, um, you know, at a, at a high level, that's sort of some of the, the key principles in gathering up your feedback and, um, and being able to use it to build to build a roadmap. I think that that's, that's really, really good. I, I love understanding and, and talking about some of those key principles for, you know, what is a, a really good roadmap and, and how do we start to bring some of those things together? Have you seen that with, you know, as you've worked with lots of product managers and product teams, have you uh, seen some of those things get put into practice or, or how have you seen some of those principles get put into practice in some of the most successful teams, like what, what has been some of their experience versus, you know, maybe some of the less successful teams who aren't employing some of those, those principles of, of consolidating a lot of the feedback of, um, you know, using the data of segmenting kind of like we talked about and then closing the loop, which I think is, it's a super important one, but it's, it's a hard one because it's not, it involves all of those previous steps of being able to, you know, track and consolidate all of the feedback and understand where it's coming from in order to close the loop. So, um, you know, being able to employ all of those, like you, you mentioned Slack doing that a while ago, but as you've worked with teams and customers and, and other product managers, like, you know, where have you seen that be a successful thing versus maybe some of the less successful ones? Yeah. I mean, the, the main criteria is, is there buy-in from the top and that could be VP product, but usually it's the CEO our executive team because it means that sales has to care. It means that CS has to care. It means product has to care. And so like there's often a cultural dedication. That's the wrong word, but like a cultural, you know, it's part of the culture that, that you care about what the customers uh, say, want to do that kind of stuff. And you've been doing it uh, or, you know, paying lip service to it, trying to do it. Um, but uh, you're now at a point where you have to do it and it has to be, has to be done well. So like, that's honestly one of the big criteria, you know, honestly to get successful adoption. One thing we've seen is, um, running a little mini pilot where like, you know, sort of skunk works project where product says it's usually product or CS. Sometimes we had some sales folks or support folks, but you know, on the customer facing side, they'll say, you know, I give all this stuff to product. It's usually like a person who's really, we call them customer champions in inside Savio. Uh, they're, they, they care about the customer. They care about the feedback. And so they might take it upon themselves to just aggregate it up because they'll, they'll, they'll send stuff to product and Slack or water cooler and product will say, well, ah, give me some data. Like I, you're giving me just a stream of anecdotes. And so they'll, they'll get cranky enough and, and then go and try and solve that problem and, and find a product like Savio to be able to structure it up and organize it and present it to product. But if it's on the product end, like going and finding those people uh, who give you those bits of feedback and saying, Hey, Sally, or Hey, Dave, you know, I'm, let's just run a little, little test. I, I want to use feedback. And I know you care a lot about that stuff. You send me stuff all the time. Okay. Can you just do it this way for, you know, a couple of months? We'll, we'll see how that goes. And so, you know, running a little skunk works project, proving the value to yourself, proving the value to your customer facing colleagues, and, and then, you know, rolling it out more widely. It's, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of running these little experiments. And when you can sort of collect up enough data uh, and be able to prove to, you know, your execs to get more budget or, to your customer facing colleague teams and execs to show them that, Hey, if you send us this stuff, we're going to use it and we're going to build the product and make it better. And you'll be able to close more deals, retain more accounts. Um, you know, it becomes a very easy conversation versus asking people to take a, you know, 
take a flyer on this crazy thing that you're gonna you're gonna try. So sort of finding those champions and running those experiments, I find to be you know that's been been helpful with our customers when um, roll, testing Savio, rolling it out, uh, seeing if it's gonna you know provide value for them. I, I think that's 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 really good. Are there any ones that you've seen? Uh, I guess what, maybe what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen as you know maybe teams have moved from the spreadsheet or the document or the Google Docs version into a more product focused tool, and you know making that transition. What, what what have been some of the changes that you've seen as teams have done that? Yeah, th- things we hear are um, I have more on the product side. I have more confidence. Like for me as a PM, I always had a sneaking suspicion you know, pre Savio that I was not making the best decision, you know, like to your point, availability and recency bias. And I read some stuff and I've let it, we call it the marination method. You read all the feedback, you just let it marinate, wash over you. And then you make some decisions. And I would always have the sneaking suspicion deep down in my gut. If I was honest, like, uh, I feel like these are the right things, but I'm not, not that confident. So like more confidence, you, you just have the data in front of you. Um, and you know, there's still very much intuition or, or art that that involves that's involved in prioritization. But you know, we let you we put the science in front of you, and you can do with that what you will. It's very satisfying to hear CS and sales talk about the data. Like, well, the data suggests that we should build this instead of this if this is what we're trying to accomplish. Um, we you know we hear that from our customers, and that's really satisfying because all of a sudden you can. It's this sort of touches on the the executive proof roadmaps, which I can which I can get into. But like when you're whenever he comes to the table with their different ideas about what the priority is, it's you know it usually results in like the the hippo, the highest person, highest paid person's opinion, you know, carrying the day in terms of what the priorities will be. Um, but when you've got a set of data in front of you, you know, and as a product manager, when you're in those executive stakeholder meetings. You know, you really want to be the best informed person in the room about customer needs or customer problems. Um, and so th- the way to do that, the way to sort of fend off the hippo, the charging hippo, uh, is to, you know, come well armed with your customer data. And so you, you know, you, you've got your roadmap, every item on the roadmap is backed up by data. Um, you know, and you get, I've had conversations like this where I didn't have a good answer where VP sales is like, well, I just got off the phone with Acme Corp and they want the XYZ feature. Uh, you know, and I, we then duke it out. I say ABC, he says XYZ, and you know, we don't know who'll win in the arena that day. But you know, today, and and this is what our customers tell us. You know, they say I, I can go into a conversation like that and then say, well, I hear you on the XYZ feature, Sally. But when you look at the data, it shows that 35 customers, you know, totaling 50k in MRR want the ABC feature, and only 12 totaling 20k want the XYZ feature. So that's why we're doing ABC this quarter and XYZ next quarter. And it's just really hard. Like you can always be overridden by VP sales or CEO, but like it's really hard for them to do that credibly very many times because um, <laughs> the data is not on their side. So you know that's that's one of the most satisfying changes that we we hear about from customers is uh, you know I, I we can discuss the data now and we can discuss it with other stakeholders and we can make more reasonable reasoned decisions instead of you know the highest paid person's opinion dominating what what we should prioritize yeah i I absolutely love that and have some i've got some some stories to share around that as well as i'm sure i'm sure so many of us do but let's expand on that a a little bit more on the the executive proofing the roadmap because because you've touched on it you talked about how having that data uh, makes it 
a much more it's much more difficult to you know to to constantly be shifting things around how do we executive proof the roadmap in order to to not be caught at the whims of of everybody who has their very very strong opinions yeah i mean i'd say the the biggest one is having a roadmap that's backed with evidence i'd say there there is one step before that which is um i learned that what i when i do the roadmap presentation meeting with all of the stakeholders, I want that to effectively be a rubber stamp process. And the way that I try and get to that point is by socializing the roadmap with, you know, the key stakeholders beforehand in a one-on-one setting. Mm -hmm. So there's no, you know, nobody's piling up. Uh, There's no, you know, I'm not getting beaten down by 15 cudgels. Uh, I talked to Sally, I talked to Dave, I talked to each individual stakeholder, you know, maybe maybe there's some horse trading, and I ultimately try and get to a roadmap that everybody likes before I go into that meeting. Um, but when I go into that meeting, it, when, I, when I go to the individual meetings and when I go into the big meeting, like everything is backed up. Like you can click on each item on your Kanban roadmap and you can see, you know, total MRR and the customer anecdotes and who the customers are and what each customer is worth and all that kind of stuff. So it's really like those two pieces, having the evidence-based roadmap <clears throat> to back up your decisions. Um and then socializing the roadmap, you know, one-on-one before you go, you go into the room with everybody else. I think that that's some really, really good advice because I know I have in, in my experience, and I, I say this because I'm sure so many, so many of us have experienced, I have been, I've been able to withstand some of that with, like you said, you know, helping everybody see it beforehand and, and having a lot of the data. And I have also been trampled in, in those types of meetings where it's just, it is not fun to go in and not um, and not be able to back things up to the full extent, or be able to, but to just know that there is nothing else that you can do. Um, so, I guess the it's a much better feeling to have all of the data and everything on your side, even if you're not going to win the the ultimate argument. At least you're going in with the best representation of everything and and all of the quantitative and qualitative data to back everything up. So you have done your part. And if, if uh, the CEO wants to, uh, to change that, then they're going to be doing it against all of the data or all of the, you know, the, the evidence that's being presented, which is, it's a possibility, but it becomes infinitely less likely, uh, you know, the more work you put in. Great. I wanted to kind of touch on that because it can sound really daunting. Um, you know, when we talk about this, like I, I, I love it, uh, you know, having a, a roadmap and having all this feedback and the prioritization that we're talking about, it can also sound a little bit daunting. Um, you know, how have you helped teams or, or product managers get from, you know, maybe not having any of this, um, you know, not really doing a lot of tracking of the feature requests or, you know, the segmentation of customers and, and the value of some of the requests to start scaling some of that up into a more data-driven approach? Um, you know, what, what have been some of those conversations or, or, or some of those things that, that you've helped with? Yeah. So um, there's, there's a couple of things. So one is um, we're big believers in click buttons, get value at Savio. And so we've really tried to understand the key workflows um, that customers have and sand, what, what we described as sanding off the rough edges, like making a lot of quality of life improvements 
Um, since we dog food the product, we run into stuff. I'm like, God, that sucks. Like, we need to fix that. We need to make that better. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something that we really try and work on. That's sort of secondary. I mean, I think the, the primary question is, is start small or the primary answer really is start small. Like don't go from zero to a hundred overnight, you know, start with you and one person in sales and one person in success, logging feedback, run a little proof of concept. Even if you're like a 10 person team or a 5 PM team, you know, you're not that big a team, just run, just run a little, little POC and make sure you understand how this works and how it hangs together and what, what the value is that you get. Um, and then, you know, expand, bring in your PM colleagues, bring in more CS, more sales folks. Um, we, we, um, we're big, we're very, uh, customer success orient oriented. And so, you know, we offer lots and lots and lots of, uh, you know, custom onboarding white glove training kind of, kind of sessions for folks because, you know, everybody's workflow is different. The tooling stack they use is different. The way they want to do things is different. And, uh, we want to make sure that, you know, the tool, you don't have to really change a lot of the way you do things in order for the, in order to get value from, from the tool. Um, so, you know, we, we help folks bend the tool to, to the team's will or to the, to the desired process that they, that they want. Um, but the, you know, the real goal is like, start small, just start doing it. Um, and, you know, start at a very small scale and then you can ramp up over time. Once you understand the sort of kids, the feedback and how it all hangs together and all that kind of stuff. I think that makes perfect sense. And you kind of touched on this a little bit uh, just now and, and throughout. Um, you know, I have used over my time a lot of product management tools and a lot of roadmap tools. And in your view, what makes Savio uh, different than, you know, some of the other things that either you were looking at, you know, when you were kind of assessing the market or, you know, what what's available today? Like what makes it special uh, among a lot of the product management tools out there? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the biggest thing that we hear from customers, and this is sort of where we hoped we'd end up when we started, is that each roadmap item is backed up by evidence. So um, there's lots of roadmapping tools out there, but ones where you can actually connect the the item on your roadmap down to the you know the 20, 50, 100, you know, 300 people who've asked for a feature, see their exact words that they used and see their customer data, uh, their revenue, et cetera. That's not that common, really. We don't run it. Like when people come to us, one reason they choose us is because of that. We can enrich their roadmaps with customer data. So that's sort of the main piece is uh, evidence-based roadmaps. But sort of the two pieces that underlie that or support that, one is that we in, we can enrich your um, your feedback with customer data from Salesforce or HubSpot or Zendesk or Intercom, uh, a couple others as well. And so you can then run queries and say, show me... Um, my features stack ranked by total MRR, cumulative MRR, if everybody's asked for it, or, you know, how much opportunity revenue is tied to this feature quest? I mean, it feels like very basic questions that require, you know, some, some integrations and some wizardry behind the scenes to make happen. And then that, you know, the, the other piece that supports the evidence-based roadmaps is like feedback doesn't fall through the cracks. We put a lot of effort into making the integrations and the process of logging easy uh, and non-disruptive for your customer facing teams. Um, and so, you know, the, the base idea is you can get the feedback in because the teams are going to do it. You can then enrich it with customer data from your CRM or customer source of truth. And you can, you know, use some tools to analyze and prioritize and then put those things on a roadmap where each of those items, each of those cards on your Kanban roadmap is, is you know, backed by your data. And you can drill in and see the data for, for each one of those. That's really good. And I do feel like uh, integrations are 
a key part of being able to get a lot of the feedback because um, if it has to come, kind of like we talked about, if it has to come in separate, it can be a really, really challenging thing to get teams who are working in, you know, sales is usually working in Salesforce um, to get other tools, to get them using other tools or other other things um, in order to kind of give feedback. So whether that's like to, you know, go into the spreadsheet and, and make updates or to use other things. So I think that's, that's a really valuable point of, of the ease of use and, and making sure things aren't falling through the crack and tying it all together. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. We, um, we sort of, there's sort of two buckets of product management tools in, in this space. So one started from building a roadmap, you know, that, that was sort of where they started and one started with, or the other bucket started with, um, collecting up all the feedback, sort of a third, which is like a voting board, you know, like a canny.io kind of tool, um, which is sort of a separate entity in itself. Um, but, you know, bucket wise, like product board started with as a road mapping tool, you could make really sexy looking roadmaps. And we started from sort of the other end from the customer feedback side, because we felt like that was the core data that you're going to use to build your roadmap. And so we put a lot of, we invested heavily in, you know, in those integrations, as you mentioned, and making sure that, you know, feedback could be logged because those are your base building blocks. Those are the foundational elements of, um, of a roadmap. Uh, for, you know, for our customer obsessed teams. Those are the ones that we, we tend to attract. So, um, yeah, sort of just look at the world. Like there's sort of the roadmap tooling who sort of moved, maybe moved to customer feedback. We started customer feedback with the intention of moving to road mapping. And then there's, there's the voting board tools, which are sort of a, a separate animal on their own. That's a really, really good point. Um, cause I have found that usually uh, you, depending on where you're coming from perspective wise and, and, and a, original your origin and and where you originally come from uh really shapes a lot of what your uh what the what the tools do and and what the perspective is um which is why uh, i have have always found i and i think the product focused tools usually do a really good job at a lot of these things but like you said there's even those focuses within, within you know a lot of the product tools but it's why i've I've really never been a fan of project management tools that kind of then come into the product world um, because like you said, they, they have a very project management focused and then they come in and try and incorporate all of the project management into product, whether that's road mapping or whether that's feedback or whether that's other tooling, but you can still get the sense of the origin, which is very project management based, which is not the the type of, thing that we need in to do really effective product management. I, I think, you know, to do effective project management, you need a great project management tool, but to have some of those tools uh, come into product management and kind of slap on, you know, roadmaps and other things, it, it, it doesn't offer like the full experience that I think you really need to be effective in product management. So I think, you know, kind of like you were saying, really starting from, you know, what is it that is that we need the, and, and what tool really reflects that perspective is such an important thing because it, they, you know, tools can do things, but they're really shaped by their origin and how they're built and, and, you know, where they kind of go to. And, uh, I, I, I love that. I think it's a super, it's a super important part of the, both the, the product development process, but also how tools really approach the different things that they do. And, and obviously like, the feedback portion being an important one, which then feeds into the roadmap, kind of like you were talking about, which, which makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, the, the details matter. You know, you read a marketing <laughs> site and you're like, well, these three tools are the same. Then you sign up for them and you're like, gosh, this one does it so much better than these other two uh, for my workflow. And, you know, that's often a reflection of the focus on quality of life, the focus on deep understanding of the customer workflows. Yep. It's also, to your point, a function of like, where did, where did the founders start? Where did the head of product start with, you know, and, and where do they want to get to? What road did they take? What path did they take? Uh, it shows sort of where where they invested, what they consider to be important. And for some customers, you know, we're not the right fit. Like you want a great looking roadmap or 50 of them, you know, to uh, convince a variety of different stakeholders, customer councils, things like that. Like you might not want to show customer councils, the verbatims or the evidence or the revenue data. Um, and so, you know, you should probably not pick us for that. But if you do care about the customer feedback, and you know, using that to drive your roadmap, we're, we're a good fit. Uh, that's, that's absolutely perfect. Let me end. Uh, well, I have a couple uh, final questions, but for, for this part right here, um, you know, what advice would you have for anybody really looking to get into into product or founding a company? We've talked about a number of a number of things throughout uh, all of this our, our discussion so far. But if you had any piece of advice for for somebody getting into any of these things, you know, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of of doing things um, that won't go out of style. So. Uh, you know, I think Peter Drucker said the purpose of a customer, sorry, the purpose of a, of a company is to create a customer. So like watch, uh, talk to, learn from your customers. And that's, that's sort of the first piece, like get close to them, understand what motivates them, what their incentives are, um, what their key, their key problems are. Um, that that's one. The second is understand the important drivers of the business you're getting into, um, and align what you do to, you know, to move those drivers. So is your business, you know, for example, SaaS businesses are really driven by by churn and by getting to net negative revenue churn, and really that's a function of, of driving expansion revenue. So, okay, so how can I align what I do with with that? What kinds of features? What kinds of products uh, projects can I work on to get you know to help the business get to to net negative revenue retention? Um, and then the third one is is not work related, but it's keep your batteries fresh, um, explore hobbies, try new things, travel, exercise, sleep, be social, see friends and family. You know. Work is not life. It's an important part of life, but it's not life. Uh, we only go around once, so so definitely uh, enjoy it. I absolutely love that. I, I think that's great. Well, Kareem, this has been a really, really great conversation. I feel like there's probably a number of, of different things that we could uh, continue to touch on and, and talk about for, for a little while longer. But is there anything, as, as we kind of wrap up, that uh, you, you want to add that we either uh, talked about or didn't get a chance to talk about? No, honestly, Kyle, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a wide ranging conversation. Um, your, your insights are, are super helpful uh, and have, have changed my thinking a little bit as well. So thank you for, for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. It has been. Well, I have two kind of wrap up questions that we like to do uh, with, uh, with, with our guests. Um, but before we get to those, um, you know, where can people find out more about you, more about Savio, more about anything that you're working on? Yeah, so Savio, um, if you're interested, Savio, S-A-V-I-O dot I-O. Um, you can hit me up via email, k at Savio.com, just a letter K. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Kareem Mayan, um, and on Twitter, uh, at Kareem. Uh, maybe you can link those up in the in the show notes. But yeah, happy to connect, happy to chat. Uh, feel, feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Yeah, we will put all those links in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, uh, to kind of wrap things up, don't, this doesn't necessarily have to be product uh, related, but have you read or watched or listened to anything recently that you have found particularly interesting? 
Yes. So I'm a big fan. It was more relevant during the pandemic, but uh, Ted Lasso was a, a sitcom that came out on Apple TV and season three just dropped. So I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing there's only going to be three seasons apparently. So it's going to wrap up. Uh, but it's a very like, it's, uh, I recommend to a friend of mine. He's like, well, my, I like watching with my wife. My wife doesn't like soccer. I was like, it's not really so much about soccer. It's more like a character driven comedy. That's incredibly well written. So I would, you know, has soccer elements. You might enjoy that if you like sports, but uh, it's a really, really good, uh, good show. Well-written, good chuckles, thoughtful tugs at the heartstrings sometimes. So, uh, if you're looking for that kind of thing, you, you might enjoy Ted Lasso. Definitely agree. Um, I, I haven't started season three yet, but I feel like it was definitely the show that we needed, uh, during the time that it came out and it is still, I'm assuming season three is going to be great. Uh, so I'm looking forward to starting that one as well. It's, it's very awesome. good. Well worth watching. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, any products or uh, anything that you have been using uh, recently that uh, you've been enjoying or maybe not enjoying so much? I mean, the products I use regularly are superhuman for email, which I friggin' love. And I'm thrilled to pay $30 a month for, which I know is a controversial opinion to pay that for email. Um, and Shortcut, which is a project management tool, like a dev tool, kind of like a Jira, but but actually nice and not wanting uh, to claw my eyes out when I use it. Actually, you know what? A new a new product I introduced my stacks with a company called Readwise. Um, they just launched a product called Reader, um, and it's like a power pocket or Instapaper. Uh, so like the, the key piece of the workflow, the reason I switched to it was because, you know, I'd, I'd run across these interesting threads on LinkedIn or Hacker News. Um comment threads and pocket and instapaper didn't do well with those at all and reader just slurps them all in they, they sort of frame it up as like basically like a pocket for power readers um so you can stuff stuff in there and then um you know crack it open whenever you want and 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 drill through your your backlog of, of readings reading stuff you can also also sub subscribe to a bunch of newsletters that I want to get stuff out of my email inbox. And so you can subscribe, they give you an email address and you can just subscribe using that email address, which is nice because then all of your, um, you know, product management newsletters that I read just get shunted directly to there when I'm in a context where I want to read and consume rather than email, which I want to just process and get down to zero and, and get on with my real work. Um, so yeah, actually a big, big fan of that. Uh, so far I, my trial just ended, but I'm going to upgrade, uh, and, uh, and convert. So it's been a nice addition actually to my, to my reading workflow. Very nice. All right. I'll have to put, uh, we'll put the links in for those. And I've, I've definitely heard that about a superhuman. I am not a superhuman uh, user myself, but uh, it seems like those who are, are passionate, passionate uh, advocates of it. So that seems to be the common theme uh, with super, with superhuman. Um, with superhuman, I probably tried like every single Mac OS X client out there for email and I just wanted something fast where I would spend as little time as possible processing email and superhuman came along like, Oh, finally the, the client I've been waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Kareem, this has been a, a great conversation again, and I appreciate all of your insights, um, on, uh, the product management industry on, uh, founding companies on uh, you know building roadmaps, especially evidence-based roadmaps and how we can do that more effectively. Uh, so this is, again, I have enjoyed uh, every bit of this and, and I think everybody who listens to it will enjoy it as well. So really appreciate uh, your time and insights again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. It's been, a, it's been a treat. Awesome. All right, and thank you everyone for listening. We will talk again on the next one. 
Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.